0: To Wave the blade the podcast i'm your host phil schneider author of Wave of the blade 100 of the greatest bloody matches in professional wrestling history and a writer on the segunda caeta blog i am pleased to be joined by a uh participant in one of those hundred greatest bloody matches in wrestling history and a participant in many more amazing matches as well uh the necro butcher dylan summers dylan how are you my friend
1: I'm doing great, Phil. Thanks for asking. I just had a delicious uh, cheesesteak, although it was no Cheese Whiz, but it, it was still pretty good cheesesteak. And I'm just trying to settle into a night of uh, prime video to find something to fill the gaps until Cobra Kai season five comes out. All
0: right. <laughs> we may have a whole year, so you got to find something else good.
1: Um, <laughs> all
0: right. Well, we are here uh, on this show. To talk about one of the matches in my book, and that's you versus Samoa Joe on June eleventh, two thousand five, IW Mid South from the ECW Arena. Um, it is uh, one of my, I you know there's a, a lot of really great matches in this book. This is one of my one of my all time favorites. What an absolute battle this was! Um, so let's talk a little bit about how this match sort of came about. How did how did this what was the sort of context behind this match, as far as you know, Ian putting it together for this show and that kind of thing?
1: Well, uh, uh, two thousand five was a long time ago, uh, but I'll do the best I can here. God, it was a long time uh, ago. I feel like it makes me feel a little old. <laughs> I remember when this <laughs> match happened very well. <laughs> you know, th- this was uh, this was the height of the now deceased. DVD phase of professional wrestling. Now everything's online and streaming and whatnot, but DVDs and uh, before that VHSs were really uh, exploding in wrestling. And Ian, as the promoter of IWA Mid South, had uh, signed a deal with Smart Mark Video, and Smart Mark Video had a very extensive distribution deal in place with other wrestling companies and through the mail and whatnot. So there was a little bit of, uh, extra money to be made with these DVD VHSs that turned into DVDs. So, uh, he had a little bit of extra income to play with, uh, and it led to, booking wrestlers for IWB Mid-South that might not have been in IWB Mid-South budget previously. And they had used uh, Samojo on a a few events prior to this match. And then, you know, people are watching the DVDs, watching the VHs. Hey, this is, uh, what an interesting match this would be. And it was, uh, it was planned for a while, and we we, uh, we finally pulled it off that, uh, that summer, 2005. Wow, I'd, 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 I'd forgotten. I'd lost track of time in 2005. Yeah, And you had just come back from Japan,
0: right? Was that the, 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 You had been working Big Japan before this? Uh, within a matter of hours. Okay. So within a matter of hours.
1: I, I, didn't I, even get a chance F- to,
0: to, to rest your feet on, on solid ground no. before coming into this uh, uh, no. maniacal match. Uh, For sure uh,
1: That when I first Started going to Japan uh, International flights Was Unlimited free Drinking as long as you behave yourself I mean we've all Heard the stories over the years Of uh, wrestlers Misbehaving on (laughs) flights Uh, That's why Uh, (laughs) Unlimited free drinking so at, 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 for for when I first started traveling overseas, uh, that was still the case. And then later on, when it became not the case, I was accustomed to a certain standard of transportation, <laughs> which was <laughs> unlimited free drinking. For, for instance, uh, the very first time I ever went to Japan, I'm, uh, uh, the, another wrestler is, is uh, Too Tough Tony was this wrestler's name, and it, it was his... Uh, I would be a maybe, Mid-South legend, Too Tough Tony. I know Too Tough Tony. <laughs> it, was, it was maybe his second or third trip to Japan, but it was my first, and he knew how much of it was a, a big deal to me, so uh, we were having a really good time on the flight, and uh, they told us uh, we had drank all the rum on the plane. <laughs> Uh, our initial thoughts were, "Oh, we're too loud." This is their polite way of telling us, "Hey, guys, you're having a good time. Turn it down so much." But that was not the case. They said, uh, w- "Would you like something else?" <laughs> so we had to switch to Southern Comfort because we had drank all the rum on the entire plane. There was no more rum to to be had. So I was accustomed to a. Uh, uh, a certain uh, style of travel uh, back then. I just returned back from, and, you know, and it's uh, twelve or thirteen hours, you know. So I would pride myself on, you know, twelve or thirteen hours of hard drinking, and I would, there was always be some naysayer wrestler on the flight with me who insisted that I would would not be able to uh, hold my bladder for the entire uh, trip. So I always delighted in showing them that yes, I could slam drinks on the entire flight and still not uh, have to empty my bladder, but this was one of, one of those trips, yes, returning back in Japan from one of those uh, power slamming liquor for twelve or thirteen hours uh, the entire time so uh, you were you,
0: you came into this match under the influence.
1: Well, probably not because, I mean, I, 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 we landed in, uh, I think, I think it was Tokyo Chicago and then two or three hours in Chicago, then Chicago to Charleston, West Virginia. And then obviously the flight from Chicago to Charleston obviously had no beverages. And then I had to, uh, Immediately climbing, I think at that time, I was driving a 72 Ford pickup. You know, the the, the horn was on the floor, you know, <laughs> it was an old, an old, older truck. So I had to uh, immediately leave the Charleston, West Virginia airport, uh, get into my 72 Ford pickup uh, and drive to Philadelphia because this was an afternoon show.
0: Right? You actually worked the evening of this show right, too, yeah. right? So you did double, you had this incredible match that would where you took a, a pretty I'm, I'm sort one of the things I like to do while I'm doing these podcasts is keep, have the match on in the background and I'm watching the amount of punishment you're taking in this match and you came right back up and worked a tag match that night, right?
1: That was, and then and the fellows I wrestled in the tag match were Nick Gage and Justice Payne. By no means was that a night off. <laughs> no, I mean, not you know, not the easiest folks to... Not the lightest... Uh, not famous
0: for their girl, light work.
1: Uh, Nick Gage and Justice guys, Payne. Yeah, either one of those guys... You know, I- individually, you're going to mm. have your hands full. Let alone with two of them. You know, you're, there's no... Uh, there's no rest in a, in a match with uh, guys like that. You're, you even if you have one of them under control, you, you got to keep your head on a swivel because you don't know what the other one's doing. You just hope your partner has him, him under control mm. somewhere. Because I mean, you know, CCW wasn't they weren't real sticklers about the rules. No, <laughs> you know, I, would,
0: I would say not. I would say that was an accurate uh, from from my <laughs> memories of those shows. Certainly. Um, yes. I think well, so th- through this match you guys kind of had you talked to Joe very much before this or did you
1: just guys kind of come out and, and start swinging not at all not a bit mm-hmm. never but, uh, pre- after that yes because mm-hmm. you guys they wrestled at least once that, no.
0: you guys at least wrestled at least one rematch in IWA Mid-South and sort of one in ROH if I remember correctly uh,
1: there was there was a few things in Ring of Honor that went down. I mean, maybe, maybe not more than a handful, but I'm thinking maybe four or five different things yeah. in ring of honor and a couple of different things here and there, various promotions afterwards. But previously I'm fairly certain we had never actually physically met
0: previously. No. So you kind of came out, you none, none of this was pre-called. You guys came out and just started throwing punches. Um, before this match started, um, which you know some of the some of the wilder, harder punches, I think you're going to see anywhere. I mean, well, they were four arms now. They were four arms
1: initially. <laughs>
0: initially, yes. Um, and
1: and then initially, we were playing by the rules. Okay. Initially.
0: So I think probably there's a one of the most famous uh, spots of this match is there's a point when you guys are brawling on the floor in Samoa Joe sort of tries a power slam and you end up taking
1: that directly on your forehead. Oh, but yeah, the, well, that was uh the the there was a there's the a concrete floor in, there at at, uh, at the arena. And uh you know when you're when you're brawling about in, in the floor, you the people are uh grabbing their belongings and scurrying out of the way so if you really go back and look I mean this is something that you're aware of when you're doing it, but it was there there was soda or beer or something in the concrete so that, you know that, that that any kind of fluid on concrete makes for uh, you know a dangerous uh situation for exactly what you're saying but the the there was the the the, the outside of the area was very uh, very sad and it was summertime too so you got you know, humidity soda and or beer spilled everywhere chaos confusion you know it's uh,
0: so 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 Joe kind of so Joe kind of slept that was his bad did you get like how did you not did you end up with a concussion from that because you you took your forehead directly into the concrete floor with some real force
1: um, well. But- Luckily for me, I'm a reasonably tough fellow. I mean, I I think my body of work speaks for that. So having something happen, you know, that might have been not necessarily something you thought was going to happen isn't really a big deal. You know, at, at, at that point, I was, you know, I was, you know, taking care of kids and stuff. So... You know, you got you got to take care of business. You can't sit and think, "Oh my God, I'm so hurt right now. I can't do this anymore." You, you got water bills to take care of. You got diapers to buy. The, the the toughest guy in the world is the guy fighting to feed his kids. You know, sure. there's, there's nobody th- nobody tougher than that guy. That that guy will do things that'll don't don't uh, don't take lightly the guy feeding his kids.
0: Yeah. Um, so this uh, the book is called and the podcast is called The Way of the Blade. You didn't th- you didn't bleed in this match. So you bleed a lot. But was that oh did Joe open you up with headbutts? It kind of looks like it from watching this match. They don't see any point where you know, you can tell with wrestlers where they cover their hands and face and they come up bleeding. It just looks like you just start bleeding from those headbutts. Is that am I right about that?
1: Well, I the, the the uh the match I just returned from was the uh 15-year anniversary show for Big Japan Pro Wrestling, and uh, I was a little bit, you know, uh, uh, as the tour was leading up to this final event, I was kind of looking forward to doing something on this 15-year anniversary show, and uh, as the tour would progress, the, the Japanese officials would ask me. Uh, I, I went there as Madman Pondo's partner. You know, I, I went there as his partner for this tour. And they had asked me what kind of match I might want to do on the anniversary show. And three or four times I made suggestions. And then each one of those times I was, you know, I would later find out that. Uh, someone else was doing that match, and I thought, "Damn it! Why do you keep asking me?" Because every time you ask me, then you announce somebody else in in this kind of match, and then and then it came to it came to play out that the night of the anniversary show, I was wrestling my partner in the second match of the night, and we hadn't, you know, we had gotten along the entire tour. Uh, we may not have went undefeated, but we won more than we lost. And there wasn't a whole lot of uh, infighting between us. There was was none. You know, there was no issues to be resolved. And we both felt it uh, kind of slighted a bit that we were wrestling each other on the second night in a singles match on the second match of the night for the anniversary show when they had asked us previously about all these ideas and All the ideas we listed were uh, given to other matches. But because it was the anniversary show, which was their biggest show in some time, not just that year, but in some time, they had gotten a brand new white canvas from (laughs) their, their number one sponsor, which was a porno company called Soft on-demand. I mean, you, you think hard on-demand would be a better name for a, <laughs> a porno company, but this porno company was soft, on-demand, and they had, for, this, for, for the purpose of making the thing look good, they had purchased a new uh, canvas for the show. And I mean, I'm just, I mean, I'm, not, I'm prone to uh, fits of pettiness and whatnot and just I just thought well you know with this uh, sliding in the booking or or so I perceived and with this white canvas I think I have the perfect idea to both uh, make a memorable impact in the second match of the night as well as uh Uh, visibly show my frustration. So uh, some extra work was done with the uh, assistance of uh, my partner turned opponent for that one night to transform this nice brand new white canvas within, you know, minutes of it being unveiled into something that was not so nice and not so white so then, why it didn't take too much effort the next morning back in North America, you know, to uh, get things uh, moving? If you
0: will. <laughs> also, also maybe all the southern comfort of the flight uh, with, with diluting your bloodstream a little bit might have something to do with it. A couple of post uh, a couple of post uh, flight aspirins. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, uh, but but how I many water will do that too? That's true. Any liquid,
1: you know. What I'm saying <laughs> I, I never, uh, I was never a big uh, coffee drinker until I went to Japan, and uh, when they would take you to a and Hall, which is you know that's the the holiest of holy of wrestling arenas in, in the entire country, you know. Uh, your, you, your, your show might be at 1230 or one or something like that. And they would get you there at seven or eight in the morning sometimes, you know? So what do you do at seven or eight in the morning? Well, you can't just get drunk, but there'd be vending machines. You know, I'd be thirsty You're for free there all the time. So I would drink, uh, I would drink cold coffee. So I never heard of cold coffee in America until I went to Japan and drank, cold coffee now, now if you want to talk about uh, drinking before a match I can tell you a very funny story about uh, some a Ring of Honor taping one time but I'll let you decide yeah let's hear sure. <laughs> it <laughs> well, okay. I'm not going
0: to turn down well. a funny story are you kidding me? let's okay,
1: go well, thing, uh, uh, Ring of Honor was doing their TV tapings in Philadelphia uh, at the time I was living in Pittsburgh and I mean they were still flying me in. You know, I, I would take the I would, I would take a bus sometimes for other companies, but Ringamar insisted on flying me in. But the problem was they would get you the first flight they could, which understandably, so if there were some sort of difficulty, they could make arrangements and get you there in an alternate manner in a, in a timely fashion as well. But as a result though You know, I would get to Philadelphia at 7.30 in the morning, you know. So, okay, I'm in South Philadelphia. I can't check into my hotel until 11 or 1 or something like that. Usually 1, sometimes 11. But I knew a bar that opened at 8 in the morning. You know, so... Bad judgment. Uh, Nichols Tavern was the name of the establishment. It's still open. Nichols is still open. Uh, I, I, so I decided to go, I'll just go to Nichols and have a few drinks before the TV taping. And, and the matches, you know, for a TV taping were never anything taxing. You know, that'd be, you know, uh, for the most part, one side matches against younger wrestlers. So you know, I, I kind of didn't really take it too seriously, and 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 drank a very you know I, I'm drinking for four hours before a match. You know, you know, playing music and you're bullshitting about the local Philadelphia sports teams and 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 uh, so anyway, I find myself with my music playing, and I, I'm wrestling uh, Sammy Callahan. Who at at the time did not have a? I don't think he ever got a Ring of Honor contract, but at the time he was you know virtually unsigned anywhere. That's clearly not the case now with Impact and whatnot. But but back then he was a younger wrestler, and then uh, so my my music is playing for my match, and I'm outside the building just violently, violently vomiting, just painfully, (laughs) painfully deep down from beneath my belly button just violently purging this alcohol from my body. And then, uh, I, I, I got to the ring and I, I realized I was well in over my head for the condition I was in. Uh, so we had the match where the, uh, the kid worked on my leg the whole match, <laughs> you know, cause I, cause I, cause I couldn't, I mean, so then we did the match and then the, uh, the uh, after the match, same thing. Run outside immediately. Violently, violently vomiting, violently vomiting after the match. And this was back when the uh, when you get those group emails, and you could see all the other people that got the email besides you, you know. And I, I remember them sending out a big uh, mass email. To all the uh, Ring of Honor wrestlers, and uh, the booking team said, you know, this is exactly what we want in our TV matches. These guys told a story in a short amount of time, and everything <laughs> didn't make sense. I said, oh my God, the reason we did what we did is I was so fucking drunk I couldn't stand up. <laughs> you know, like, man, uh, is, is that how easy this wrestling stuff is? And, you know, I got, it turns out it is. Like, you know, but, <laughs> so Sammy was like,
0: well, we'll, we'll work
1: this kind of Jack Briscoe, Dory Funk style. We'll kind of go, work a limb. That you can say what you want, but when they send an email out to all the other wrestlers saying this is how we we want our TV matches to go, you, you can't argue with that. No. We must have done it right. We, <laughs> we must have like, done right, it right. All
0: right, Sammy. In our rematch, I'm going to work a a wrist, an overhead wrist lock, and you try to get that out of there. And
1: I I said, brother, I can't stand up, which is the truth. <laughs> We're going to have to. We're going to have to do this match. I'll do a couple things. I'll go down. I'll come up at the end. and I'll get the best out of you. And that'll be that. Just work on my leg. And that's what he did. And they fucking loved it. So, mm. you know, it's, uh, what can you do? That's you fun. can't help but do right sometimes.
0: So this match, I think in, was this sort of the, you previous to this match, I think you had been almost exclusively for a while not when you started, obviously, like a, a deathmatch wrestler, right? Was this kind of the first match where people had the idea of booking Necro Butcher versus like a a, oh. a, a top indie indie star? Because you for a while had a ton of those. You worked, you know, Loki a couple of times and Chris well, Hero. Yeah.
1: I mean, I, I mean, that's uh, whatever I'm going to do in the ring always has been and always will be based upon the uh, strengths and or limitations of my opponent that night you know uh, when I first moved uh, to the Kentucky area for increased competition uh, that's w- that's where I was you know that that's where I was at and I was in the lower part of the card on the lower end of the spectrum on paydays. And I would see the guys in the main event doing things a certain way and getting paid a certain way. That's where I was. So I said, well, look, that's what I need to do. And that wasn't really a big part of my game until I moved to Kentucky. Was that particular style, and and like I said, it's just because I was doing what I needed to do where I was. It wasn't more or less a decision as far as content, other than trying to ele- elevate myself in the car- card where I was.
0: And so, so if you had a preference, do you prefer like a? barbed wire, glass, that kind of thing or do you prefer more of a straight uh, wrestling match? Maybe, not, maybe uh, not you and Sammy Callahan working a limb but, but maybe something more like well, you, or, you and Super Dragon or you and Chris Hero, Eddie Kingston those kind of matches
1: it just, it, it, I really can't say because I would always like to think that I could have a good match with anybody it just depends on what that person can do But to go to reiterate something I said earlier about, you know, taking care of your kids and paying your bills, uh, when you're in that position, sometimes you can't really say no to things that anyone with any amount of common sense would say no to because you're trying to pay your Comcast bill or you're trying to make your car payment. Or whatnot. So, like, okay, hey, you're going to go down to Alabama and fight this 400 pound ex convict with broken glass taped to his fist. What idiot would say yes to that? But, you know, someone trying to buy baby food will say yes to that. You know, so I was put in a lot of situations when I always tried to excel when I was just more or less trying to pay the bills, man. So, out of
0: in your. Career doing crazy things, and I, I was at live at a tournament at Death once in Delaware, uh, and so I've seen you live do some crazy things. What would you think was the moment that if you were going to point to and say, yeah, that was probably my worst idea? Uh, uh, the wor- the that was probably I probably should have said that out of any any of the things I did, that one was the one where I should have said, you know, let discretion be the better part of valor.
1: Well, there were a lot of. I mean, there were there were a lot of things that didn't really uh, turn out in my favor. Uh, the, the I think cacti. I I did, I did I did a cactus cage match once in Houston in the nineties, and it. Uh, I mean, it was just it was uh, ridiculously horrible. You know, it was. Mm, maybe an hour and a half after the show was over, still picking cactuses out. And, also, and they, even like a week later, some were still coming out, but, oh, God. <laughs> it, but not being able to leave the building. But it was pretty neat though, because at the time there was a guy who ran a strip club who was training to wrestle. Didn't make it, but he was there a few weeks. And, uh, for, for a few shows there, we had, uh, different strippers leading every guy to the ring. So, of course, these these strippers were all about pulling these uh, cactuses out of me. Oh, that must hurt. That must be horrible. Go, Whatever. just are you know, hanging out. <laughs> pulling these things out of me. Sure thing. It's horrible. It sure is. They really was horrible, though.
0: <laughs> the yeah. ultimate silver lining. Right? I don't know if i gotta get, yeah. if I got to yeah. get
1: these needles
0: pulled out of me at least. Uh, the, at least the stripper is the one pulling uh, it. I gotcha. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. It was a was, uh, minor consolation.
0: <laughs> With that, I think this is probably probably your most famous match. Would you, uh, uh, sort of the match if somebody said, well, what if I was going to watch one match that was going to explain what the Necro Butcher w- is and what, what he was and what he is, people would probably point to this match. Where do you sort of rank it among your the memories you uh, have? I don't, your I don't
1: have any. I don't have any kind of ranking system, but you know, every summer about this about that time of year, every summer there's always, you know, like there'll uh, be WWE guys talking about it, <laughs> like this is just some shit I did in the summer fifteen fucking twenty years ago. It <laughs> always then I think back, uh, like and I think at the time I was just trying to pay the bills. But but looking back, I can think, well, okay, well, I guess I guess it was kind of cool there for for what I was doing at at that time, you know. Was
0: who was your favorite I, opponent?
1: Like who? 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 Out oh, of all the
0: people you wrestled, some 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 all time greats over the years. Um,
1: I I don't really think it would really be fair for me to make any comments like that because I really was really. Fortunate. I was really able to have some, some both uh, a high, big name, and big talent uh, opponents uh, throughout the years. And it's, it really is too daunting of a task to even try to break down. I was very, very fortunate in my time in wrestling. All right. So I'm not going to make you pick a favorite,
0: but out of the, how talk to me I'm gonna make you talk uh why, why don't you talk to me a little bit about Greg valentine when I th- he's a guy who's in my book a couple of times much younger what was working him like
1: oh, i've had a, a a couple a couple few, a few matches with him i think uh uh the, the funny thing was the uh the, the first time uh i almost murdered him with the sunset flip the ring was really wet so i didn't get over him at all with the sunset flip i just went up and down and just pancaked him right into the right into the mat i, I can still remember the noise he made when i landed on top of him and then I, I didn't I didn't feel very tough at all for making (laughs) Drake Valentine make this horrible sound uh, when I smushed him. And then uh, a few years later we had a match in uh, Detroit. And I hadn't saw him since I had almost murdered him with a sunset flip. And I wrestled with the decision. Okay, how do I, how do I talk to him? How do I, do I apologize immediately when I see him, or do I play it by ear? I didn't really know what to do. But uh, when uh, when he first met me, he didn't remember. And then I thought, all right, I totally dodged the bullet on that horrible. Sunset Flip all those years ago uh, but then when I took my shoes off and he saw my feet he said wait a minute I know those feet I did a job for you like, oh my god There's a, then he remembered but he initially could not remember had no memory until he saw my giant feet because I have I have some pretty big feet. So he, he saw my feet, and the feet brought his memory back. And then, but I mean, he was a big baseball fan, you know. So uh, with Tampa Bay Rays, well, Devil Rays back then, you know. So uh, we we talked about baseball, and I was able to win him over. But it was uh, a little, little tough setting there for a while. And he remembered, uh, well, he recognized the feet. That's that's
0: funny. Um, was he, so how Samoa Joe lays into you pretty hard in this match? You hit him back very hard too. I think one of the things that uh, you know I always loved about the classic Necro Butcher matches is that you got the level of stiffness in all of those matches. Guys would have, you guys were pound each other. Who was the hardest among? Or you don't know, again we don't if I don't want you make you pick one person. But who was among the hardest hitters that you were ever in there with?
1: Uh kick would be hardest kick would be low key. Hardest punch would be the Mormon kid Masada. Uh just overall beating you to death, I'd probably have to pick uh Husta Fernandez in TNA. Yeah. Oh, sure. I
0: mean I, I uh, he's the guy who's sort of well known for just throwing you in the air and Wherever you
1: landed was up to you. <laughs> I know you would you would you would do things to him and it would hurt you. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'd give him a clothesline and it would hurt. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. uh. So where does Joe land in that? Because you know it looks to me, it
0: looks like he's beating the ever living hell out of you. And obviously, I know part of that is the great magic of professional wrestling. But um, where is he? Does, is he in the? Is he in a top? Does he make a top ten? as far as guys who hit hit the row Butcher the hardest?
1: Well, I, I don't think... I think a lot of the damage inflicted in that match, I think there was more of it inflicted in the minds of the spectators than there was in the ring. You know, over time, that's just has continued to exist in that fashion I think uh I was just really lucky to be in that building on that summer afternoon with those things going on in wrestling and it was it was just a very fortunate situation for me to be in
0: Did you did something about working in that arena um now you'd work there a handful of times before for CZW, right? But was there something about like I'm working in the in the ECW arena, you know, with that sort of history of hardcore and violent wrestling that that place saw? Did that kind of did, was that in your mind when you were going through the uh, the curtain?
1: Well, it it was uh, with the exception of I I'd been to Cork and Hall in Tokyo before that, mm-hmm. but no arena I'd ever uh competed in in North America had that kind of history. So yes, without without question, yes. And uh you yeah,
0: that was a place you wrestled a ton. Was that your favorite uh match in in uh in the ECW arena?
1: Um well I mean, maybe. I don't know. I mean there was just so many there, there were just so many but but uh you know, because like Ring of Honor was there, CZW was there, so much crap there. Uh, yeah, I mean, probably. I mean, I'm a wrestling fan. I mean, not anymore, but I mean, I used to be a wrestling fan. So, yeah, I mean, ECW Arena or Cork and Hall; those were the big, uh, you yeah, know, because those were the ones with the uh, toughest crowds. Because they've seen it all. You know, but give, give me a tough crowd. I I love a tough crowd, because I'll just up my game to show them something that they want to see. You know, so yeah, the, the ECW, Reno, or, or Corkin Hall is a toss-up.
0: Okay. um, So let's talk, I want to talk a, a little bit about sort of how you started in pro wrestling. You mentioned that you kind of moved into the hardcore arena a little bit when you moved to Kentucky but before that you were in Texas right correct Dallas. so so how did that how did you who trained you how did you kind of get into the into this uh part of your life
1: i started in the sportatorium oh wow talk and about was, legendary
0: buildings right
1: yeah it, it wasn't it wasn't uh the company was no longer called world class but i mean uh, the the ring apron said world class <laughs> David chip wrestling. It was the same building. I think it was called maybe the CWA or something like that. Uh, but the same building, same people, different name.
0: And uh, what did, what made you decide to uh, this was something you were interested in doing?
1: Well, I was a big, uh, tape trader, you know, I'd never seen, I didn't know something called the internet even existed until I joined the military and I was like, well, the internet was, you can just type whatever and read about that or what, you know, whatnot. And, you know, I, was, I was kind of blown away. So, when I was in the military, this was before you had direct TV or disk network or any yeah, of that kind of stuff. And uh, having satellite TV meant this big thing, you know six feet into the ground and concrete in your yard that rotated when you turned to push buttons on your remote because you had to turn your satellite to aim at you had to turn your dish to Aiming at these various uh, satellites, you know, I could watch, you know, stuff from Tennessee. You know, I I could watch Memphis stuff. I could watch, you know, I think there was nine hours a week of Lucha Libre. Uh, this uh, ECW was Eastern Championship Wrestling. Uh, there was stuff in New Jersey I could watch. I could watch stuff like in Knoxville. Uh, there's just so much stuff you could watch on, 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 uh, on the satellite. And then you could, uh, I would trade tapes, you know, for a while there, I was getting, uh, all Japan and new Japan, uh, TV weekly TV. I'd get, I'd get compilation tapes of all the, all the, all the TV stuff from Japan because, you know, people in Japan wanted the American stuff and people in America wanted one of the other stuff. And, uh, yeah, you know, it just became a full-time thing where I was always, i would go to work in the morning, just push record. And I was copying tapes all day. I had to leave my wife instructions on what tapes <laughs> I had to copy that day. And you got the and double, just, the double VCRs.
0: Yeah. Like, yeah, you know, sure that's, did. I resemble, sure I mean, I mean, you know, I was a big time tape trader back in the room the same time too. I yeah.
1: And, I gotta, and remember, if you bought the uh, the commercial tapes, you could record over them if you put Scotch tape over that one little hole or that. Sure, absolutely. Could, if could, you wanted to record over, because if, if I was hurting and didn't have enough blank tapes, I'd have to record over something. So i get this commercial release and just put, the, put a little piece of Scotch tape over that hole, and you could record over a. A Commercial release to get your know, nightmare on Elm Street, but really be like you know Madison Square Garden, Show, maybe five <laughs> or whatnot. <laughs> <laughs> and then I got to, uh, sure, my, uh, my move would be to go to Costco and I would get you know like the
0: 30 pack of uh
1: oh, yeah, of, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. of tapes. And you but know, sometimes like, you run out, though, sometimes you run out, and you you know, but uh, so then I got, to re- I got to send in tapes to guys that were training in Dallas, you know, and they just wanted to you know, see what the guys overseas are doing and whatnot. And then I, they became steady customers of mine. And through the course of, you know, uh, emails and phone calls and numerous packages, you just develop some sort of basic uh, friendship level with these people. And then I just, uh, you know, then, hey, why don't you come up to the and blah, 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 blah. You know, it was a lot different then than it is now. Uh, back then, you would pay a tremendously large amount of money up front, and, and then that was it. Whereas opposed to now, and, and they would just try, they would just try to beat you up to get you to quit because they'd got your money,
0: <laughs>
1: and that was that was the goal. Whereas now it turned into, you know, you baby people to get you know, 50 bucks a week or a hundred bucks a week or whatever. And you just baby them and take it easy on them and then just keep that money coming in and then you got a bunch of wrestlers, you know, that can't fight their way out of a paper bag. Well, I'm trained. I went to this wrestling school. I went for 12 weeks or six weeks or however long, but it was, it was a lot different, you know, when I did back then they tried to get, they had tried to beat your ass, make you quit, get rid of you. Because so, you had your money, so who was so,
0: well, well, training at the sportatorium at that point? Like when the who is the guy trying to beat your ass to get you get rid of you?
1: Well, it wasn't. Uh, well, the, the the head trainer was Black Bart, that he didn't really do too much of the beating because uh, the the training was done on Saturdays, and the the sportatorium shows were on Fridays. So Saturday morning, you'd have a lot of the guys, you know, still in town for the Friday night show. So that'd be a rotating cast of guys who, you know, wanted, already in town and wanted to work out, you know, needed uh, a live tackling dummy or, or whatnot. So it was, it was a rotating cast of guys. Uh for that role, okay so uh
0: so who were uh, get like did Kevin Gonera kick the shit out of you? did you get the hell kicked out of you by uh ahmed John? I'm trying to think of what the your dallas era guys <laughs> <laughs> did that uh, rod Price kick you in your teeth who were the who were the guys that were oh, well, I, mean, I, had,
1: I I had some things some uh, some uh, I had spent some time with rod Price, but uh the other guys were kind of moved on, i think uh I think Ahmed Johnson was. uh, I think he was Tony Norris. I think so. He was back then. Uh, There was different guys. Uh, I mean, no. I mean, and and the funny thing is, uh, I'll speak. I'll speak about one guy. I'll speak about one guy. Uh, Something which I have for for good or for bad has been something I contributed to wrestling and I've seen it, you know, virtually every night someone will do it. This spot, uh, they even did on an AEW show with the, uh, and it was even the movie where they changed around with it with the, uh, sitting in the chairs and the punching trading punches deal, the bar fight spot. Of course. that, That was totally mine. That was totally mine. And where that came from initially was one of the guys, you know, and th- another thing, you know, uh, back then, you didn't, you weren't even allowed in the ring for a number of weeks. I think it was six weeks there in Dallas where you'd you'd be, for those first six weeks, you'd be, uh, waist locks, single leg takedown, hammer lock, top wrist lock, side wrist lock, headlock, bear hug, arm bar. You know, you'd go through the reversals of these moves on the floor before that ever let you in the ring. So, you know, getting in the ring was a pretty overwhelming situation because you had just been on the floor watching these guys do things, you know? So one guy who had who would you know gotten a little rough with all the guys well his uh back then he was called Diamond Dave Donovan. just uh first or second match job guy on the heel side, you know always putting over younger guys, always putting over littler guys, you know not not the greatest uh, morale uh position to be in. So he, and then, but then it fast forward a few years and he comes to, he comes to IWA Mid South. And they said, well, don't you guys know each other? You know, yeah, matter of fact, matter of fact, we do, (laughs) you know. Uh, So then I just, now I was trying to show this man that things were, Indeed, quite different than the last time we were together in a ring. You know, when I was, you know, uh, didn't know what I was doing. He did. Well, now not only do I know what I'm doing, but I know how to do it well. So I was just trying to humiliate this man to the greatest degree possible. And early on in the match, you know, things became aware of. You know, pretty obvious what was going on so he was you know curling up and fleeing and you know trying to just beg for his life and i just thought well i'm just gonna as he's crawling about on the floor begging i'm just going to sit my ass down in this chair and follow him well and beat his ass while i'm still sitting down (laughs) i can beat this guy up I can fucking beat this guy to oblivion without ever standing up. I'm going to fought and I scooted, you know what I'm saying? I scooted around the chair and just pummeled him for, for the entire match. And then that just led me to think, well, how can I, how can I make this the thing? What if, what if the other guys in a chair? And what about like, you know, Olympic boxing in the early days of the Olympics when they sat up on pedestals that's how he determined a knockdown was to knock that guy off the pedestal. It just, uh, it, came, it came from beating the guy up. That's where it
0: came from. It <laughs> came from Di- Diamond Dave Donovan? That's a, that, is yeah, that's a, just, that is a classic, uh, like, indie wrestling name. There's probably been 50 Diamond Dave Donovan's,
1: a <laughs> hundred the of them. The bar fight that you see on every night, every show will do it. Yes. That came from me trying to beat up Diamond Dave Donovan while sitting on my ass Not my favorite spot in the world I'll,
0: I'll be honest with you Although you're like maybe the only person You and you're Mickey like you, you and Mickey Knuckles I think are the only people I've ever seen do it Who I actually think okay this looks good
1: A lot of people do that And, uh, and <laughs> a lot of
0: times it'll be like a like a Forearm that's a 40%
1: forearm yeah, It's like come on people guys don't know what talk, People don't know what the fuck And that's because it's my fucking spot <laughs> Right I, I can do it this my fucking spot but guys you know how can I do this guy's spot well you can't because it's fucking mine so that's <laughs> why it doesn't look good unless I fucking do it right. I think you and
0: Mickey those would be the two Mickey when Mickey puts a chair across from somebody she, she lays it into him pretty good most people it does not look great but well, looks, I know I was like always me. happy to see Necro Butcher take a seat in a chair though because I knew somebody was going to get uh, get their uh, yeah. kn- uh, block knocked off
1: for sure. Um, my spot. My spot, brother. I don't do my shit. <laughs> All
0: right, well this has been this has been great. I've really what what a blast it has been to talk. Like I said, I've been a fan of yours ever since, you know, I first started getting uh trading for IWA Mid South tapes and and uh you know this match is you know, every time I watch it, I'm like, man, what an absolute maniacal eight minute war this is. Uh, You know, sometimes, so many times wrestling matches uh, wear out their welcome a little bit, where it's like, okay, yes, I get it. That was a two count. All right, you guys are 33 minutes in. That was a top rope pile driver for a two, and now he's going to go back. This thing was just like, you got in, got out, uh, and and went after it in in one of the more entertaining ways you ever can. And I, I certainly have been entertained by the Necro Butcher many, many times, and I appreciate that. Uh, you're sort of a... Uh, do you have anything to plug? I, I don't know if you really do. Or, I heard a rumor you were considering returning to professional wrestling. Is that... Is that uh, it's a done deal, brother. It's a done deal. Well, let me hear the plugs.
1: When, uh, when are people well, going to
0: see the Necro Butcher back at a professional wrestling ring?
1: Well, I have been... I, I, I've been looking... Uh, after, well, I had gotten, uh, I'd gotten sick. I got, I got diagnosed with uh, stage three Hodgkin's lymphoma and all kind of tumors. It was a big, horrible mess. Uh, started getting better. It's it kind of crazy. Started getting better. Uh, and I'd thought about like coming back on a limited schedule, uh, with a mask gimmick, uh, just to prove I could prove I had beaten cancer and all that. But, uh, in case you don't know, I'm not exactly the most popular guy on Facebook or Twitter. And a lot of people like to take shots at me all the time. And I thought, well, if I, if I come back under a mask, is it going to be like, like I'm hiding from this criticism that people have leveled at me for all this time. So I thought, no, I'm just going to, I'm just going to go make it, make it a full on comeback then. And, uh, I was looking for a good reason to do it, uh, and there's a uh, show on March 5th in Knoxville. and I guess it's like a, a benefit show for New Jack's wife, and I thought, well, if there ain't a bigger reason than this, I'm not going to find one. So uh, once word got out, a lot of people talked to me to, to be on their shows, but I'm not trying to do anything until March 5th. But there's going to be a lot of stuff after March 5th, trust me. But uh, for for right now, the only thing signed, sealed, and delivered is March 5th in Knoxville. Uh, My opponent is about 100 pounds bigger than me and 20 years younger. But uh, never underestimate age and treachery. Okay, and you feel
0: like, uh, and and so you're fully recovered, do you feel like you're in ring shape and ready to to rumble?
1: Well, I've been, uh, for the past year now, I've been walking uh, at least four miles a day, two miles each way to work. Uh, When the pandemic hit, it's about the same time I started to get better, and I went to work at a nursing home in Pennsylvania, one of the hardest hit nursing homes. Uh, they lost about 25% of their residents, but that's where I went to work. And I was walking to work every day to do this. And I, I've i been training hard, man, because I thought, well, because like, you got to lift people up. You know what I'm saying? lifting people up. I was, man, I was, uh, I was in the dementia ward from April this past year until December. It's been a humbling experience. And uh, my schedule's changed a little bit at work now. And I have weekends off and I thought this is just, uh, this is just the clouds parting at the right time. So just keep working hard. and. We'll knock this March fifth thing out, and uh, we'll see what it has in store for. Maybe there's uh, definitely some chapters yet to be written. Okay, well, that
0: as a, as a wrestling fan, that is a very exciting thing to hear. Uh, Dakro, Dylan, thank you so much for doing this. I really appreciate it. Um, this has been a, a real blast, and we will be back next week with another episode of Way of the Blade.